You are listening to the Overflow Podcast, a ministry of First Denton. For more information on Overflow, please visit overflowdenton.org. Welcome you guys back uh, to Overflow. This is such a joy uh, to get to do this on Tuesday nights. Uh, I am so grateful that God has put Overflow uh, in Denton at this time in history. Uh, It has had such a, a great impact on my life. Uh, If you don't know me, my name is Zach Cunningham. Uh, I serve here at First Denton, uh, and I get to teach every so often. Uh, And really, uh, I am still on the mountaintop of getting engaged. Uh, Two weeks ago, I asked my beautiful woman uh, to marry me. Uh, And so right now, we're in the middle of wedding planning uh, and engagement photos and like 16 Pinterest boards. Um, But all that to say, uh, I'll never forget laying in bed Uh, the night before, uh, because here's the thing, Um, this probably caught you off guard, uh, because I wasn't going to propose uh, until like the end of this month, so like right now, like today, probably on stage at Overflow, but, um, but, so I'm laying in bed the night before I proposed, uh, and a couple weeks before, I had gathered the courage um, to go ask her father uh, for, her, for his uh, blessing for me to marry Mally. Uh, and so it was a couple weeks before, uh, I knew that Mally was meeting with a girl that she disciples at 1030. Uh, and so I drive over there, gather the courage, uh, and then park like three blocks down the road um, behind this other car. And it's like 10 o'clock, so I have like 30 minutes to just sit here. Uh, and I'm waiting, stalking her house, um, the people in the house that I'm parked in front of come outside and start knocking on my... No, I'm just kidding. They didn't do that. Um, she finally leaves. Uh, I drive up to her house, and no joke, I get nervous, do another block around, put it in park, sit there, say a, a quick little prayer, and I'm reading over the notes in my phone of the speech that I was going to give her dad when I came in there. And so I go up and knock on the door, and fellas, I don't care what anybody says, this is the scariest moment of your life. And so I knock on the door, uh, I go in, and you know, he's super excited, he says yes. Um, her mom is super excited, uh, so much so that a few days later, a few days later, she texts me and says, I've got the ring. Uh, and I'm like, wait a second, I was supposed to go with you to get this ring? Why do you have the ring? Um, and then, so long story short, um, she gets back from a long day at nursing school. Actually, so I'm laying in bed the night before. I'm not going to do it for another month or so. Uh, and I checked the weather. It's like 2 a.m. I checked the weather, and I wanted to do it on top of the roof of this church, so like right there. So I needed it to be sunny. And at that time, the next two weeks have a rain cloud on them, except for the hours of 2 p.m. to 5 p.m. the next day. So I'm laying there. I'm like, God, if I'm, if I'm doing this, I'm doing this tomorrow or in like two weeks. Uh, and so I wake up the next morning, like today's the day, I'm going to do it. Uh, and then longer story short, she gets back from like a, a day long of nursing school. She's in nursing clinicals uh, where she's like washing old people at this nursing home, showering them. She's been up since 4 a.m., Uh, And then she gets home. I send her on a scavenger hunt around Denton to, like, the special places in our relationships. Uh, And then she meets me here where I take her onto the roof of the church. Uh, And side note, I didn't know if I was allowed to go on top of the roof of the church. But I knew it was, I've been up there before just once. And so I knew it was pretty, and it looked perfect. And so this is one of those, um, do I ask for permission 
or ask for forgiveness later types of things. And like my old nature was coming out. And so anyways, I just sneak up there. I haven't gotten in trouble for this yet, so I'll keep you guys posted. Um, we sneak up there, I get on a knee, I ask her to come on this adventure with me. Um, so lesson of the story, sometimes you make plans and the Lord wrecks them uh, and all of a sudden you're engaged. Um, however, <laughs> however, other times you make plans and the Lord wrecks them in a way um, you don't understand, and then quite honestly, you wish he hadn't. And, and tonight is a very significant night in the life of this ministry because a year ago from tonight, this Tuesday, was Austin Wadlow's last sermon at Overflow Denton. Uh, if you guys don't know who Austin is, Austin was the college pastor here for seven years. And in those seven years, God used Austin to raise this place up from about 50 people uh, to close to 500. Um, Austin was uh, a good friend of mine, uh, my college pastor, uh, my mentor, um, my father in the faith. Uh, he was a good preacher, pastor, and, and passionate communicator of the gospel. And up until that point, he had taught me most everything I knew about Jesus, how to follow Jesus, and what it meant to be a godly man. Um, there are not many people on this planet, guys, that I hold to such a high view as I do Austin. Um, so back up, a month before he leaves, um, last January, I get back from a mission trip uh, where I got stranded in Peru for like two days. Um, that's a story for another time. I've told a lot of you guys that story. Um, so anyways, I get back and he brings me into his office and he sits me down uh, and he asks me uh, to be his associate college pastor. Um, I had served as his intern for about six months and the ministry was growing. And so he asked the church, for an associate, and then he asked me to do it, and I, I've never been more excited in my life. You know, I was pumped. He was my guy asking me to work at his side, uh, and I thought, this is it, man. This is what God created me for. I'm going to work with Austin. We're going to take this baby to the mountaintop. We're going to conquer Denton uh, and then conquer the world. Like, honestly, I, I was on a cloud, and nobody was going to get me down, and that lasted about two weeks. Um, Austin had invited me over to his apartment, uh, and this wasn't uncommon. Austin usually invites guys over uh, to his apartment to hang, to eat, Bible study, uh, play Catan, and let me kick his butt. Um, that's a board game. Uh, so I get there. I get there, and I sit down. Like, I'm not lying. He doesn't say a lot to me. He's just like, take a seat. And I sit down, and he hands me a piece of paper, and on this piece of paper are dates of overflows, so Tuesday nights, and then names of uh, guys next to him. And so for the next two weeks, Austin's name is on it. And then after that, for the rest of the semester, it was me or somebody else. And I cannot begin to tell you uh, the amount of fear and anxiety that had overcame, overcame me in that moment. Austin explained to me that God had called him uh, to do church planting and college ministry in Iowa. And this was going to be a great opportunity for him and Leslie. And I'm sitting there, and he's trying to explain this to me. And I'm thinking, Iowa? Of all places, you're going to Iowa? And then, like, God, this is not what we agreed upon. Like, we are going to conquer the world together for you. Do you remember that? Uh, and so, we, like, we got finished there, and, and I prayed uh, with them, and then I left. Uh, and I, I'll be honest, the next two weeks of my life, or three weeks or so, some of the hardest weeks of my life. It really was a blur. Um, doubt and insecurity uh, just flooded my mind. 
Um, questions like, what's going to happen to the ministry? What's going to happen to overflow? You know, what, why is all of this happening, Lord? Like, what, what are you doing? Uh, and, I, and I remember being so upset at myself. I was ticked because here's the thing. I, I knew that God was in control. I knew that this was part of God's plan. But in that moment, I was so upset. Like, Zach, ye of little faith, dude, have faith. Uh, but I was ticked at myself because I was... Uh, I had no faith in the Lord, uh, and I had people come up to me um, trying to quote uh, Bible verses at me in that moment. Uh, and, and you guys have all been here, man, where you're, you're upset, something didn't go as planned, and your good, well-intentioned friends come up to you and just quote Bible verses at you. Uh, like they come at me at Romans 8:28, and I'm like, brother, I, I know God's working together for my good but I really want to punch you in the face right now. And I think, I think that he can work that together for your good. And, and that's where I was. That's where I was for about uh, three weeks. Um, and then February 28th rolls around. So like tomorrow, last year, uh, Austin gets up here and he preaches his last sermon at Overflow. Uh, and that was it. And, and it really just launched us into this period of uncertainty about the ministry. We're, we're all looking around like, what, what's going to happen here? Like, what, what in the world's going to happen? You know, Austin left. Our guy left. And so why do I bring that up tonight? Um, because everyone in here uh, has made um, these great, awesome plans for your life, only to have them crash and burn to the ground. And then to look at God and say, God, what is happening? Why did you do that? And, um, and so tonight, the title of tonight's message is this. What God is doing in your life when you have no idea what God is doing in your life and how to handle that. What God is doing in your life and when you have no idea what God is doing in your life and how to handle that. Because in this room full of college students, I know there are two types of people. There are the people in here who have every detail of their life planned out um, for the next five years. Um, the five-year plan. Uh, you know exactly when you're going to graduate uh, what GPA you're going to have when you graduate, uh, what job you're going to have, the person you're going to marry, how many kids you're going to have, um, their names, um, the order of the gender of the kids you're going to have. You've got everything planned out in this planner um, with this like uh, genuine seriousness, and, and you're so naive. Um, I'm kidding. I hope it works out. Um, however, the bulk of us in this room don't fall into that category. Uh, raise your hand if you have no idea what you're doing with your life. Me too. Me too. Um, you raise your hand, if, and if I would ask you, hey, what are you going to do after you graduate? And you would look at me with, uh, and you would say, Zach, I can say with 100% honesty and 100% fear, I have no idea. But, however, you raise your hand, but I would bet that even you have a plan for your life. I was at Zara's uh, a couple days ago with Caleb. Caleb's a guy that I disciple. Uh, he has the flu. I'm sorry, Caleb. Um, but I was at Zara's, and I said, Caleb, what are you going to do with your life? He said, bro, I don't know. I said, yes, you do. He's like, bro, I, I don't know what, what I'm going to do with my life. And I said, how old are you? He said, 18. I said, okay, double your age. Now you're 36. Are you married? He said, yeah. You have a job? Yeah. You have kids? Yes. Three of them, two guys, one girl. The oldest is 10 years old. His name's Caleb Jr. And he's going to be the best basketball player in the world. And I could keep going. And suddenly, suddenly he's got his whole life mapped out. 
And honestly, everyone in here has got your life mapped out. You have a, a dream of where your life is headed, and you're in college to get the skills to actualize the dream that you have. Everyone in here has got a plan. And so tonight, we're going to start in James chapter 4 and take a look at what the Bible says about making plans and how we should process it when they don't go according to our plans. James chapter 4, I'm going to start in verse 13 and then read out the chapter and then I'll explain uh, why James is so angry. Uh, Verse 13, it says this, Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town, spend a year there, and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. Let's pray. Father, we just want to pray tonight for your help. Open our eyes to your word by the power of your spirit. And in the name of Jesus, amen. Uh, All right, so we look at this passage, and in light of what we've already talked about, we should be a little confused. Why? Because we all make plans. And in this passage, James is confronting anyone who says, today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town, spend a year there, trade and make a profit. And he's speaking to Christian businessmen, but he's speaking broadly, so to include anybody who says that today, tomorrow we're going to do this and that and do this. And so he's confronting anyone in this room who says one of five things, or he says he's going to do five things. One, you say you're going to travel. Two, you say you're going to make it to the place that you're traveling to. Three, you're going to spend a certain amount of time there. You say you're going to do something. And five, you dare to say that you're going to have a certain result. He says if you say that, you are arrogant. And that if you say you're going to go to this place and do this and that, you are evil. Tell us how you really feel, James. Um, So if you've ever said, I'm going to go to UNT or TWU, get a degree, get a job, and get married, James is going to have a problem with you tonight. And and this should be a little weird to all of us because we all make plans. What's wrong with making plans? Should we not make plans? Is this wrong? No, that's not what James is saying. In verse 15, he makes it clear that we can make plans. So what's the problem? Why is he calling us arrogant? What is his issue here? James isn't upset at what we plan but how we talk about what we plan. And not just that, but our attitude and perspective of the plans that we make. He says that as Christians, when we're planning, we should keep two things in mind. You should keep in mind who you are, and you should keep in mind who God is. That who you are and who God is should influence the way that we make plans. And so first, let's look at who we are. Look back at the passage. I'll start in verse 13. 13 says this. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town, spend a year there, and trade to make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears a little time and then vanishes. So his first issue is this. If you're like, tomorrow I'm going to do this, get this major, and get this job, you're arrogant. Why? Because you don't know what tomorrow is going to bring. 
that you are, because you don't, you got to keep in mind who you are, that you are limited as a human, and you're not, you don't know what tomorrow is going to bring. Like tomorrow, I have a plan. I'm going to wake up. I'm going to drink black coffee. I'm going to read a little bit. I'm going to come up to church. I'm going to work a little bit. I'm going to the BSM to eat lunch uh, and hang out with my friends. And then I'm going to hang out with Mally. And then I'm going to watch some intramural basketball games and watch Josh Noble dunk on some poor Tamskid. Um, <laughs> or I could get hit by a bus. And that would change my day a little bit. I don't know. And here's the point. You say tomorrow you're going to do such and such a place and do this. Nah, man, you don't know that. You don't know what tomorrow will bring. And he's saying you've got to keep in mind who you are when you're making these plans. And then he's going to press down a little harder. Keep reading. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. James says, dude, what is your life? I'll tell you, it's like a, a mist, a vapor that appears for a little time. Go outside when it's cold, breathe, look at it, and then watch it vanish. That's you. And James is pointing out the fact that we're not here very long and that we are fragile and that we're all going to die. And, and that's true, right? There's just um, raise your hand, raise your hand if you know the names of your great grandparents. Raise your hand if you know the names of your great-great-grandparents. What are they? I'm totally kidding. I'm totally kidding. The point, is, the point is, they were alive 30 years ago, and we don't even know their names. Why? Because their life was a mist. And so were you. One day, your great-grandkids aren't even going to know who you are. You're going to be old, outdated people who are dead. That's who we're going to be. And a lot of us, a lot of us lose perspective of that. We get so focused on the now and getting a degree so we can get a job, so that we can get married, so we can have kids, so we can give them an education, so that they can get a degree, so they can get a job, so that they can have kids, so they can get married, then have kids, and that their kids can have an education. And we get so fi fixed on the now, James says, wait a minute, you're all going to die. What are you living for? What's the point of all of this? And so as Christians, we're called to live for the one thing that's going to outlive us. When I was preparing this in this moment, uh, a quote from C.T. Studd came to mind. Uh, and he said this, Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. And so yes, you can plan, but the only thing, everything else is going to fade. The only thing that's going to last is what's done for the kingdom of God, what will last forever. And that should ultimately influence how you plan your life. Okay, second issue that James has with us evildoers, we fail to take into account who God is. Who God is. Look back at James 4. You who say that tomorrow you will do this and go here and say this, verse 15. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. He says what you need to do is understand who God is. Who God is. And really, in this passage, two things. Read it. If the Lord wills, we will live. First, if the Lord wills, we will live. So here's what I want to do. Everyone in here, take a deep breath, as deep as you can. Listen to me, the reason why you were able to take that breath is because God gave it to you. 
And the moment, the moment he does not want you to live anymore, he'll stop giving you that breath. If the Lord wills, we will live. It's the God who determines who lives. And you have no control over that. And that's humbling. It's the Lord's will if we live and exist. And it's the Lord's will if we die. My life is in the hands of the Almighty God. It's the Lord's will if we live. And not only if we live, but read the verse again. If the Lord wills, we will do this or that. So not only does the Lord determine when we exist, but what we do while we exist. If the Lord wills, we will do this or that. James is saying if you've got a plan to accomplish something, to graduate college, to get married, you'll do that if and only if the Lord wills it. The Lord wills it. And this is huge and uh, incredibly profound. Um, You are not in this room tonight by accident. And some of you need to hear that tonight. You being in this room at this time is no accident. And we're not taught this in school. In school, it's, all of this is an accident. And you think about that. Really? This is an accident? We're sitting on a ball of water that's spinning at 1,000 miles an hour. And that's an accident. And so this ball of water, which so happens to have uh, a hot core, so this fireball with water on it that doesn't drip, is spinning thousands of miles around a bigger fireball that is 1.3 million times the size of our fireball, and that's 93 million miles away, and we go outside and say, it's kind of cold outside. That's an accident? That is nonsense. The Bible says nothing is an accident. The ball is in the air because God wills it to be there. He wills it to be there. In the moment he doesn't want it to, it won't. If, we, if the Lord wills, we'll do this or that. And so God is in control of this thing, but not only of the big fireball, but also of your life. It is his call whether you do this or that. Whether you come to overflow or not, get married, have kids, it's the Lord's will. And everything happens according to his will. So some of you in here, you've got your plans and your future, but understand this, all of that happens according to the will of God. And his plans smash your little plans. Proverbs 16.9 says this, the heart of a man plans his ways. So in our hearts, we plan our life, but the Lord establishes his steps. But the Lord determines his steps. So what is God doing? What is he doing when we have no idea what he is doing? The answer is this. He's lining our lives up with his greater plan. That the path that we are on is all a part of his bigger plan. And I want to show you an example in Scripture. Um, In the Bible, in Genesis, um, there's a man named Joseph. Uh, And Joseph was the youngest of a bunch of brothers. And he was his father's favorite. And so he went through all kinds of stuff. Um, His brothers sold him into slavery, um, but the Lord never leaves his side. He rises up in Egypt. Uh, He's doing well, Uh, but then you read this. It says this guy, Joseph, was handsome in appearance and form. So handsome that his master's wife came to him and said, sleep with me. And Joseph, being the most loyal dude in the world, he says, no, girl, I I didn't go through slavery 
just to get in trouble. I'm not sleeping with you. And no lie, the Bible says this. She tried over and over again. And he said no each time. And then, no joke, it says that one day, while all the other guys were in the field working, it was just Joseph in the house. And the master's wife comes to Joseph and says, sleep with me. And she grabs his clothes and he flees, ripping his clothes off of his body. And so he runs outside and then it says this. The woman runs outside and says, look, this man tried to sleep with me. I have his garment. And then his master gets ticked, obviously, throws Joseph into jail. He can't catch a break. And then longer story short, God gives Joseph the ability to interpret dreams. And Pharaoh, king of Egypt, um, has a dream. Joseph interprets it. And then it says this. In Genesis 41, it says this. So Pharaoh said to Joseph, Since God has shown you all this, there is none so discerning and wise as you are. You shall be over my house, and all my people shall order themselves as you command. Only as regard the throne will I be greater than you. And so all of a sudden, you have this guy who went through slavery, uh, being falsely accused of sexual assault, now being second in command of Egypt. And my question is this, where was God during all of that? Was this part of God's plan? And the answer that scripture gives us is yes, it was his brothers who sold Joseph into slavery, but God willed it and meant it for something good. Genesis 50 verse 20 says this. Joseph says, as for you, my brothers, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring about this present result to preserve many people alive, that his brothers meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. God meant it for good in a much deeper, deeper reality. If the Lord wills, Joseph will do this or that. It wasn't Joseph's plan to go to prison, but God had a bigger plan for his life. There's a quote from John Piper. He says this, God is always doing 10,000 things in your life. And you may be aware of three of them, just three of them, that God has a plan for your life. He is working all things together for his glory and your joy, all things in your life, but you just can't see what tomorrow will bring. And Joseph went through all of this crap and ended up second in command of the known world. And he didn't know this was going to happen, but God willed for it to happen. So all of that stuff he went through was to prepare him to be second in command of Egypt. Now where I have to be careful is to make this pretty significant point um, that your life, God's will for your life, the Christian life, is not one of um, health, wealth, and prosperity. You've got a lot of people who use this example of Joseph and say, um, because he rose up to second in command, they'll say, God is preparing for you something great. And you're going to accomplish everything that you put your mind to. You're going to be financially blessed. And if you have enough faith, you'll never be sick again. And all of your dreams will come true. Listen to me. That is some Walt Disney nonsense. It is unbiblical and wicked. What if God's will for your life is to suffer? 
And you say to me, wait a second, Zach. Didn't God give Joseph everything and raise him up to second in command? Absolutely he did. But that was God's will for his life, to prepare the way for his son to come and die. And God's will for your life might not be that. You plan, God's will for your life might be to suffer. And you say, God wouldn't do that, really. What happened to John the Baptist? Jesus says this of John the Baptist. There's none greater born of man than John the Baptist. So John the Baptist, greatest man to ever walk the earth. What happened to him? He was beheaded at the request of a stripper. Greatest man to ever live, head cut off. You say, what about Paul? Paul wrote a third of the New Testament. Paul is repeatedly beaten, thrown in prison, stoned, left for dead, shipwrecked twice, swims to an island, tries to make a fire, and he's bit by a snake. That dude was preaching the gospel everywhere he went, being obedient to the Holy Spirit, and he was beaten senseless. What about Peter, crucified upside down? John the Beloved, boiled alive. Jesus the Son, crucified. And so why do I make this point? God has a plan for your life. And at times it might not seem like you have any idea what God is doing, but he is doing something. He's always doing something. None of this is meaningless. Your life fits into the greater plan of God who is reconciling all things to himself through Jesus Christ. That is what he is doing. And the Bible says that he is doing immeasurably more than you can think or imagine. And that word immeasurably simply means you can't measure it because it's so great. And so what does this mean? Are we supposed to just say, if the Lord wills, after every sentence? We're going to Waterburger tonight, baby. You arrogant little, if the Lord wills, <laughs> if the Lord wills, we're going to Whataburger. Um, is that what we're supposed to do? Nah, man. You're not supposed to just, if you do that, it might um, ironically make you like more holy and more arrogant. So what are we supposed to do? What is this message supposed to be about? It changes the way you view things. If the Lord wills, if the Lord wills. Um, this means that my parents getting a divorce in seventh grade, driving my family apart, and the pain and the suffering that I experience, that what, what the devil meant for evil, because that's what he does. He drives families apart. He drives parents apart. What he meant for evil, God meant for good. So that even the enemy's plans to kill you ultimately advance the kingdom of God. And it puts Satan in handcuffs. John Piper will say he's on a leash. This is the whole point of the book of Job. And God just laughs and shows off his power. Because in this event in my life, my parents splitting, um, me going through high school, coming to this college, bumping into Matt in front of Bruce Hall on that one fateful day, where he invited me to overflow, where I would sit over there and by God's grace in Jesus Christ be saved. And then I would get involved, park cars, become the intern. Austin would leave and I would be here in this moment preaching this passage, James chapter 4, verse 13, 17, to you. That was God's plan for my life. And this is no accident that God in his sovereignty has placed me here. And then God in his sovereignty is going to bring me home. 
and in his sovereignty has brought you here tonight to hear this message, to tell you not to worry about tomorrow because God is in control. Because God is in control and he's always doing 10,000 things in your life. We just can't see it. And so how do we respond to that? If the Lord wills, you will live and do this or that. Um, To many of you, this may sound oppressive or like bad news. Someone else is in in control of my life. Um, It would be bad news if that someone was not good. But the beautiful thing is God is not just in control, he is good. Because if God was good and not in control, we have no hope. And if God was in control, but he was not good, we should be scared for our lives. But God is good, and he's in control, and he knows what he's doing, and we can trust him. We can trust him. When Austin left, and I was in the middle of this um, crisis, um, even though I knew that God was good and in control, um, there was one passage of scripture um, that I clung on to, like my life depended on it, and that passage is Psalm chapter 23. And I'd like to go through it briefly with you guys to end the night. Psalm chapter 23. It's in the middle of the Bible, probably to the left a little bit. Psalm chapter You need some water over there? I always got some. Psalm 23, if you got it, say, got it. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. I always thought this was weird. Um, The Lord is my shepherd that I don't want. Uh, It wasn't until I was 20 that I saw that comma there. Um, Punctuation matters. Um, The Lord is my shepherd. I have all that I need. And John will go on to report that that shepherd is indeed a good shepherd. Verse 2, he makes me lie down in green pastures. I love this. It says makes. He makes me lie down in green pastures. Lord, my, my plan was to do this and that. No, no, no. Rest. See that mountain? We're about to climb over it. And you need rest. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in the paths of righteousness for his namesake. So this path that I'm on, it's for his name's sake. Our path is part of a greater story. Verse 4. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for you are with me. So my question here is that the verse before, it says he's leading us through passive righteousness. Then what in the world are we doing in the valley of shadow of death? Like, Lord, is this the path of, like, I thought we were going down the path of righteousness. Did you just lie to me? Listen to me. What if the valley of shadow of death was a path of righteousness? That the valley of shadow of death was making you more like Christ. And that oftentimes God takes his sheep to the valley to do what? To show their dependence on the shepherd. That's what you're doing in the valley. I fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You have anointed my head with oil. 
my cup overflows, or my cup runneth over. Um, so what does that mean? Um, in ancient Middle Eastern culture, there was this practice that if a man was traveling for a long journey, uh, and it was almost dinner time, he could just knock on some random house, uh, and they would show hospitality to him. And because the family name was so important, um, they basically had to let him in, because if not, he would go next door and literally just talk trash about you, like for real. And so they would let him in and invite him over to the dinner table um, with the family and ask him about his journey, who he was, what was he doing, and, and so forth. Uh, and it was custom uh, to treat your guests to a glass of wine. And here is where the master of the house could send a huge message to um, his guest. Um, towards the end of the dinner, he would ask um, the server to get the wine, and he would say, um, depending on how much you like the guest, he would instruct him to fill this up. And if he didn't like the guest, he was like, um, you know, he, he wasn't fond of the guy, he didn't like his dress, um, he would tell the server to fill the cup halfway. And this was like an ancient subtweet, like, bro, like, I fed you, um, but it's time to go. Uh, but if he, enjoyed, if he enjoyed the guy, if he enjoyed him and wanted him to talk some more, he would instruct the server, fill it all the way up. And that meant, hey, you can stay a little longer, uh, and I want to talk to you. Um, but if he really, really enjoyed the presence of this guy, he would tell the, the server, overflow the cup. And he would go and overflow the cup. And what this meant was, I want you to stay as long as you want. Do not leave. And then he would bring oil out, and he would anoint the guest's head with oil. And what that meant was, all that I have is yours. All that I have is yours. And that is what happened at the cross of Jesus Christ. That our good shepherd willingly endured the cross, wiping our slate clean. He paid it all. And not only that, but because of his perfect life, his righteousness was bestowed upon us, the inheritance of eternal life. And that Jesus Christ, our good shepherd, paid the price for our overflowing cup. And so once we were a stranger passing by, but now a child of God, where goodness and mercy will follow us all the days of our lives, and we will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Why? Because Jesus Christ paid for our cup that's overflowing. And he wants us to stay forever. And once you are saved, you will never perish. Never perish. Oh, the overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God, right? So once you are saved, you will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And no one will snatch you from his hand. And so when I was preparing this sermon... Um, in this passage of James 4, it reminded me of a song I used to sing uh, in Sunday school. Uh, and with weighty passages like this, I thought it was appropriate. Uh, it goes like this. He's got the whole world in his hands. 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 So plan your life, get married, get a job, 
but realize it is the Lord who wills, and this world is in his hands. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to the Overflow Podcast. Please feel free to download and share with friends. We ask that you do not alter any of the previous content in any way. For more information about Overflow, feel free to visit us online at overflowdenton.org.